It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. And it is time for our weekly look at one of the most interesting communities anywhere in the world, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Whether you go there every week, whether you go there every month, or whether you haven't been there in 10 years or you've never been there, there is no place in the world that is more interesting to look at from a historical perspective, a cultural perspective, a culinary perspective, an entertainment perspective, and a political perspective. And someone with experience and opinions on all of that is my friend, City Councilman Jesse Kurtz. He is in the Atlantic City City Council finishing up his eighth year. Happens to be the only Republican on the City Council in Atlantic City, a city which is uh, pretty heavily Democrat. Councilman, it is great to talk with you. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. It is. Uh, it's great to have you. Now, we've um, we've talked a lot about uh, the gambling aspect of Atlantic City. And the last time that uh, that uh, I was down there a little more than a month ago, and I was uh, glad to see you. I was glad you were able to come stop by the New Year's Eve Eve party. I noticed something interesting when I would walk into any of the casinos. They weren't that crowded, particularly during the day. And yet I look at the numbers and these casinos are doing great, better than they have in literally years. And if you delve into the numbers, part of the reason is because of online gambling and mobile betting and sports betting and things like that. There is there are some folks that think Atlantic City will do well and casinos will do well to incentivize in-person gambling. I guess you're one of those folks. I am 100 um, percent. I think that the um, the numbers are it's great to see the numbers up. As you mentioned, um, the, the overall uh, win is back to you know, all time highs. But you know, as you mentioned, if you dive into those numbers, you see a trend that that I'm I am concerned about. It. It's one that the online gambling continues to grow, 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 grow. But the in-person gambling, while it is up from um, kind of pandemic numbers, um, it is not having that same type of resilient climb, and uh, that that's not good. Um, the idea of gambling. Coming to Atlantic City uh, through referendum, 
it was authorized by the Constitution. And, and a key point that the voters in New Jersey um, kind of focused in on, it, it failed initially going back years ago when it, when it was on the ballot um, to go statewide. And it came back a second time. It was expressly for the rebuilding, the revitalization of Atlantic City. Um, just a few years ago, it was rejected again to go statewide. It's, the voters have been fine with it being in Atlantic City, but not statewide. And in the Constitution, it's about building up our city. And, and that's in large part, it, it's not that we want to pit people against the, the corporations that own the casinos, but it's important to remember that this is an employment driver. It's an economic driver for the people um, in my town, the people in this area. And the way that that continues to happen is through having in-person visits. So I'm, I'm a believer that tax codes uh, they incentivize or they disincentivize certain behaviors. And I think the way the tax code is right now is, is incentivizing a lot of marketing push, a lot of push for online gambling, whereas I think the tax code should um, not be as incentivizing for that and more incentivizing for bringing people um, to the town to support direct employment in the casinos, and then the indirect that comes from the supporting businesses. Well, no, and I certainly agree. And we're talking with Jesse Kurtz. So the if people are not following the need for in-person gambling versus just online gambling, it's great for uh, companies like Caesars and Hard Rock to do well. And obviously we want you know all these companies to do well. But it's even better for the small business, the bagel store, the coffee shop, the uh, mid-size restaurant, the vendor on the boardwalk, those people aren't benefiting if there are uh, there's a surge of online gamblers instead of in-person gamblers. And uh, that means also there's going to be fewer in-person employees of the casino. So I understand the need to get people working and gambling in person. But when you say to change the tax code to incentivize in-person gambling, would that be a a state change, a federal change? Is there anything you can do municipally? And what would a tax code change look like? So it it would happen at the state level. Um, A lot of what happens with uh, casino gambling is regulated at the state level. And um, you know, I think that a couple of things um, should happen. Um, one is that the the idea of uh, the ratio of how comps are awarded to online gamblers uh, needs to be examined and adjusted. Um, if you think about it, you know, people may be listening right now and they're from, you know, North Jersey. And, you know, we, we love our folks up in North Jersey that, that support the uh, casino industry here. Uh, but if you know if you're playing o- online gambling and you're in a North Jersey uh, area, and the incentive or comp that you get as a player is uh, almost exclusively or predominantly comp uh, free play, then uh, that you look at to why is that done? It was done so somebody gambles more, et cetera, um, and that's a key point of, of gambling. But I think a lot of those comps or, or more of those comps need to be mm. about land-based visits, you know, things that you have to come to Atlantic City to redeem, whether it's a hotel stay, a meal, a free item, um, extra comp play if you end up getting a Wi-Fi or like a, a GPS um, signal 
and address in Atlantic City, you know, for example, uh, getting funneled into a tournament that the, the final round, whether you play on a device or in person, um, gives you better advantage if you're here in the town. Um, and when I look at the, when I mentioned the tax uh, structure, uh, there have been some uh, commentary and push to increase the online uh, tax amount. The, the casinos point out that uh, there's only a small percentage of the revenue that comes to them. A larger part goes to these third-party operators. Well, I, I think we need to look at that part of the, the tax structure so that way, um, whether it's raising one side or um, incentivizing the in-person, um, all the roads need to lead towards uh, just increasing the number of people mm. that are coming to this town. No, that uh, makes a lot of sense to me, talking with Councilman Jesse Kurtz. You have an initiative to give Atlantic City police officers who live in Atlantic City take-home police vehicles. Now, uh, the skeptical among us, the cynical among us will say, well, Atlantic City is only 48 blocks. Why do police officers that live in Atlantic City need to take home a police vehicle? Well, a couple reasons. Um, One is that um, it... We're talking about incentivizing behavior. Um, I think it encourages or incentivizes police officers to live in in town. Mm-hmm. And having a police officer who lives in town does a couple things. One, it, it strengthens those bonds between law enforcement and the community, which is essential. It's important um, for the quality of, of life in the community. It's essential for um, you know, just building up those relationships with people that are going to give tips and be supportive of solving crime, preventing crime. Um, but the other side of it is that it, the the presence of a visible police vehicle in a neighborhood serves as a deterrent to people committing crime. Um, there have been um, some efforts recently that I'm 100 percent supportive of and working with uh, the administration and working with the state to um, – combat crime, to prevent crime in town. But a lot of it has focused on um, the tourist-heavy areas or like mm. the Main Street, uh, Atlantic Avenue, or when it comes to business for, for uh, local commerce here. And I, I think that the take-home vehicle policy goes to strengthening our neighborhoods. And the, the amount of money that it will cost to um, award this to officers who live in town uh, would be money very well spent to increase safety and, and build those ties of community um, in our residential neighborhoods. I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me, the way you explain it. And how, how is that proposal being received uh, by folks in Atlantic City, by some of your Democratic colleagues? Also, I, you know, I have to give, give credit slash um, acknowledge that city council um, seems to be unanimously in support of this. Um, it's something I, I need to continue to have those conversations with members of the, the city administration. Uh, the, the request we made was, um, it was something I came up with, um, to go to the state budget team because we are um, under uh, state control uh, for I think basically the last six years. Um, with the bill that the legislature passed. And so the idea was to add um, the funding into the budget. Um, I've followed up on it. Um, I haven't you know, gotten that um, kind of positive <laughs> response yet from um, the state folks, but you know, we're going to keep pushing and just you know, bring it to the public's attention. Um, it's something also 
uh, that I, I have to say, frankly, like it, it's not something I kind of woke up and said, aha, Eureka, right, this right. is what we're going to do. No, um, I always like looking back at what, what has been done in my town and other towns previously that maybe we've forgotten about. And, and I learned that about 15 to 20 years ago, uh, we did this in Atlantic City. Uh, and it oh, that's interesting. Why, why did they do away with it? You know, I think um, people in government have very short-term memory, mm. um, you know, and sometimes they forget completely <laughs> about stuff that worked. Um, they want to reinvent the wheel. And no, no, we, we need to go with what works and what had worked. Um, the two neighborhoods where uh, this practice was most prevalent, you talk to people that grew up in those neighborhoods, and they just remember, you know, officer so-and-so would be out there washing his or her car, and then an officer so and so that lived in that neighborhood that they would knock on the door when there was an issue, et cetera. Um, it's a great program, and it needs to come back. You uh, look, everybody that lives in a city, whether it's New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, Atlantic City, is dealing with the same substance abuse crisis. Some cities have been hit harder than others. And there's a lot of concern in some quarters about what the legalization of recreational marijuana is going to mean for the substance abuse uh, issue. You have a push for changing the rules of engagement when dealing with people who are having uh, both substance abuse and mental health health issues. Tell me what you're proposing. Sure. Um, So in, in New Jersey, um, I, I've learned that it, it, it's very challenging to um, uh, help somebody when they're in a situation where they're so compromised by either substance abuse or um, mental illness that they refuse treatment or help. Um, and this is to the point where you know you can approach this person or persons time and time and time again. You can get to know their name, their circumstances, the way that they look. But if they continue to refuse your offers of help, and this could be coming from a police officer, a social worker, a certified officer to deal with this, um, it becomes almost you know, impossible to, to get somebody who clearly needs help into treatment. Um, and I found that there are limited um, circumstances where you can assess somebody and through multiple times evaluating them, get them to a team of folks that are normally attached to uh, the local hospital and place them into a temporary hold, a temporary uh, treatment in order to stabilize their, their mental uh, state, their body chemistry. Um, and I think that that practice needs to be expanded and used more generously, because if you think about it, the whole idea of, of well, well, we don't want to force somebody into something against their will, that doesn't apply to somebody right. who is compromised by substance abuse and mental illness. It's not informed consent until um, the body chemistry, the mental state is stabilized. And so there is a, a, a practice, it's a, called PIP. And my kind of critique of it and and what I'm pushing for is is that it's not used enough and it's not permitted to be used enough. It's like a lot of law enforcement. It seems like it's uh, restrained. Um, People aren't allowed to do their job these days. Um, And the only way we're going to turn a corner in terms of um, tackling this issue and reducing the number of people that you see a uh, walk in the street that are clearly out of their mind um, is, is through an expanded use of the, of the PIP um, initiative. So I've been talking to state leaders, been talking to people in the casino industry, um, and uh, people that are in that field um, helping the folks. And 
even though they may not be um, kind of uh, calling for this or screaming for this, um, I am. I'm convinced of it. The last few years, just answer the question, why are there so many crazy zombie-esque people wandering around my city? And, and, And this is one of the reasons. Yeah, well said. And uh, when I when I talk about Atlantic City, you know how social media is. There's always this chorus of critics who uh, try to get down on Atlantic City and get down on me for talking about it, especially on a national show. And that's always one of the things that uh, that people uh, that people harp on. Oh, if you go to Atlantic City, you're going to see this drugged out person or that drugged out person. And um, one, I think that's in inaccurate portrayal of what it's like to visit Atlantic City. But two, I uh, I think that the constructive proposals like the one that you just mentioned are exactly what we need to hear uh, more from uh, all of Atlantic City's leaders, irrespective of uh, of parties. I told a story two years ago of uh, Ra- my wife Rachel and I walking along the boardwalk, and I was in the midst, uh, I-, I didn't know what was going on, I was in the midst of uh, a cigar, probably my third walking boardwalk drink, <laughs> And my wife, as she always is, the observant one in our relationship, she notices a a gentleman in a motorized wheelchair who had a very difficult time with speech. It looked like he had maybe muscular dystrophy or some similar ailment. And he was stuck on the sand trying to uh, get either on the beach or off the beach. And she said to me, go go help him, go help him. And it was really hot. It was one of those very hot summer days. And he was just sitting there baking, unable to communicate really with anybody, at least verbally. And had, had I not gone and helped him, you know, get off the beach or get on the beach, he might have just been baking there for a long time, getting sunburned. And since then... I have been um, pretty concerned about the access that people with disabilities have to the beach in Atlantic City, which is one of the finest free beaches in the whole country, maybe the whole world. You're uh, pretty up on um, an initiative to improve the accessibility of beaches to people with disabilities. Tell me what's being done and what you'd like to do. Yeah, you know, a story like what what you just mentioned uh, really hits home why this is a passion for me. It's um, it, it's something where uh, the the beach is such a beautiful um, attraction, and the the origins of Atlantic City go back to being like a health resort and trying to you know convince people of the benefits of breathing in salt air. And you know our, our brothers and sisters that have disabilities, it's important for us to make the beach accessible. So I started a few years ago um, pushing for us to get these um, accessible beach mats. Um, other communities do it. And Atlantic City was a little slow to doing that, and I was successful. I worked with uh, the Casino Reinvestment Development Authority, and we started getting the mats. And I remember when the first one went down, and I was so excited. I'm like, hey, this is something that I've been pushing for and actually happened. You know, it, uh, and I ran into a neighbor who um, had MS and was in his scooter up on the uh, boardwalks that sounded very similar to the person that you encountered. And I was like, hey, check this out. And, and he didn't believe me. So he, he went over the ramp over the dune and went on the mat, kind of got halfway down the beach. And he, he, was, he was borderline crying. He, he couldn't remember the last time that he had been on the beach. And so that, that hit home for me, the importance of doing this. So um, I'm pushing for more mats. I think every one of our access points needs to have one of these mats. And secondly, um, a few years back, the um, city acquired a couple um, accessible wheelchairs 
and they're basically like um, made out of like a PVC type material with some uh, mesh seating and larger inflatable tires. And there's only a few of them on the beach patrol and over uh, years, uh, they've broken down and kind of been cannibalized for parts. And so I'm, I'm also pushing to get a full uh, complement of those. There should be at least one per district. So that way somebody, if they have a disability and needs the use of this, can call a central number or if, if I have my way, have an app and be able to just request it. And then it can meet them at the access point with the mat. So between mats, chairs, and then um, we can push for other types of signage and aids, training, et cetera. Um, I'd love to see us become the gold standard for um, accessible beaches at the Jersey Shore. Well, hey, uh, I love what you're doing. I know you uh, recently kicked off your reelection. I'm wishing you the the best of luck. If I lived in uh, in your district, I'd certainly vote for you. Tell folks, we have a lot of Republicans listening around the country, many of whom are living in uh, Democratic cities, and they wonder how Republicans can actually win elections in the city. In a, in a nutshell, Jesse, give folks the secret sauce on you that they might be able to replicate in Democratic communities of their own for how a Republican can actually get elected in a Democratic constituency. Well, I, I, I mean, for starters, it just it's, it is a great honor, and I, and I thank the the constituents who have supported me, and and I think on um, people who are in a minority um, political party situation, um, I think it's important important to be bold in your ideas. Um, I think you have to be um, the person or people who are proposing uh, the solutions that are not just bold but that are thorough. Um, I think you have to work harder than your opposition, um, and and uh, you know there's there's that combination of um, it, leveraging technology to um, you know to be able to connect with people, and if you contrast yourself, you know not on being a bozo and not on being um, dishonest or anything along those lines. If you contrast yourself on on being hardworking, on being on the side of, of people that often have promises made and promises broken to them. Um, and then it's probably going to take a few times. You know, it took me – I lost twice before I won my first election, so I'm uh, two and two now, and I'm, I'm hoping to win re-election this year. And uh, so that will be a few few thoughts. And uh, I guess the last thing is you have to enjoy the fundamentals of politics mm. if you're in a minority situation. Like I, I really love connecting with people. So if you like connecting with people, um, knocking on doors, doing events um, – then, you know, it, it go for it. If you don't like those things, sometimes you hear about political candidates. It's like pulling teeth to get them to, you know, encounter people and knock on doors like, hey, you probably shouldn't shouldn't take on that mission. Yeah. Hey, well said. Hey, Jesse, you don't have even though you're the only Republican there and there have been times in New York City, for instance, where there's only been one Republican on the city council. But in those times, that Republican always has the title of minority leader. Are you the minority leader? Do you have that title and distinction? No, I don't. But that's a great idea. We always like titles, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah, I, I'm telling you, you should do that. Invite me to your uh, your swearing in as minority leader. That'll be fun. <laughs> I, I like it. All right. Jesse Kurtz, thanks a lot. Let's do this again soon. I'll look forward to seeing you on my next trip out there. Hey, all the, all the best. Thanks a lot for the time. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, that's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.